I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Do you ever get to a point where everything is just too much and you just need to take a break? That is kind of how I've been feeling the past few weeks around trauma recovery and abuse dynamics, and sometimes it just gets to be a lot, and I just need to take a break. So I had to do that over the weekend a little bit, and this episode, I wanted to put this episode out because uh, the guest today, Shani Payton, is just a super funny human being and is a comedian. Her content on social media is so funny and keeps me laughing all day long. And I thought that this episode was going to be like this really funny episode because we recorded it, I think, back in like December. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be. But there is some laughter. Fear not. Shani Payton is a comedian and has hundreds of thousands of followers. So, 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 so funny. But she has a darker origin story. She grew up in a church cult and she has been on her own journey of recovery and healing. And humor plays a role in our healing process and we do get to that at the end. But we also just talked about the dynamics of control and the impact that it has on us. It's just a really great conversation and I really like Shani a lot. I'm going to link to her website in the show notes so you can follow her on all the things. She also hosts The Shani Pants Show, which is a podcast. I was recently on The Shani Pants Show I will link to that episode of my conversation with Shani Payton, uh, also in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. And if you're having one of those weeks where you just need to take a break, then you know what? You should take a break. Go for a little walk. Have a sip of water. And if you can take a break for a couple days, sure, just do it if you can. I highly recommend it. It's good to do that all of the abuse and trauma, it'll still be here when you get back. Pretty sure about that. All right, so here is my conversation with Shani Payton of The Shani Pants Show. Hello. Hello, it's so good to see you. Good to see you. I'm so excited to- Me too. (laughs) Chat and laugh, talk about culty things, talk about abuse things, but then talk about fun things too and ways that giggling and laughter and jokes help us on this amazing healing process where yes. do you hail from right now northern california right around the sacramento area right oh so, yeah i lived yeah. in LA for four years so oh did you okay i'm familiar with the stomping grounds oh yeah just a quick you know nine hour little drive mm-hmm. for me not no big deal. No big deal. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Every every time I moved someplace, people would say, "Oh, do you know so and so?" Because they like live in the <laughs> state, and it's like this is like a massive state. Right. <laughs> or I moved to DC, and where people are like, "Oh, my friend, blah blah blah, lives there." Like DC is so big. Yes. <laughs> no, I have not run into them in the grocery store. <laughs> no. Well, whenever someone says, you know, whenever uh, it seems like when people say, oh, California, oh, do you surf? And I'm like, no, no, I do not surf. Like, <laughs> like, because it's like how the state is, how long yes. it's like, I live more up in the mountains uh-huh. and, you know, versus the coast. And, and then even so there's, so many different coasts as far as you know all the way down exactly, to exactly. bay area yeah so it's funny but everyone that's like oh do you surf no no you go to you would not want to see that all the time right like, yeah no. <laughs> quick quick little weekend trips every yes, every weekend <laughs> but yeah but i do love where we live it's beautiful and i i yeah i really love it and i grew up here i've never moved far from home so i've always all right always been in the area yep right all right well, I would love to introduce you to folks by hearing your story. The group that you grew up in is very similar to the group that I grew up in with this just very fundamentalist dedication to interpretation of the Bible. And I would love to hear what that was like for you growing up and process 
getting out, questioning, because you're not you're not in it now, right? Right. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I would not be talking to you because yes. you are of the world. <laughs> I am. Uh, we we could not communicate. No. Never. No <laughs> eye contact would be happening. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so tell me tell me a little bit about it. I know a lot of folks in our community are going to relate to. Yes, I so I was born into this cult, a religious cult and up in northern California, my parents were also born into it. So we had some generational, you know, fun things we're just dragging around. And you know, it started out as from as much as I can understand talking to my grandparents and other older folks, it started out as kind of like a we're going to go not, not, not even non-denominational. It was just like, we're going to do meetings in our home, basically. So I think it started out as a pretty innocent kind of fine thing, like just Bible yeah. studies in, in homes. And then it's, from what I understand, it sounds like in the um, 70, late 70s to 80s, um, the, well, his son is now the current leader, but he took over and we'll call him RG. He, and from that point on is kind of when it became more rule-based, fear-based, and that's when kind of there started to be a lot more things that got put into place and people just kind of, I guess, followed along and went with it. And so in the mid eighties, there was what we call the split of the eighties, where a large group of people were questioning some of the beliefs and rules and restrictions. And there was a, we call it marking to be avoided, but like an excommunication. So there was a large group that were excommunicated from us in the eighties because they were questioning and you don't do that. And part of my family like in a group or was it like we call you in into the office and it was basically I mean I was a kid at the time but it basically is just public you know from the front you're hearing and we had a lot of different sects so we had like ours up here in northern there was four in north in California and then we had like Texas Virginia Oklahoma Canada Mexico I think that's all of them. So this message would go to everyone because Mm -hmm. we would get together. We call them camps where people from all different, what we called assemblies would like meet together and hang out. And so everyone's getting the same announcement, basically that Mm -hmm. these people are marked. You are not to associate with them. And it truly was like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like announcing their name. Oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Today's marketing. are uh-huh whoa <laughs> and announcements today oh it's very God. light we just have you're not allowed to talk to your family again oh my god yeah so that happened back in the 80s and I was I was a young kid then and part of my family was marked my dad's sister and her family which she married my dad's best friend so that was like really hard on my parents oh yes and it sounds like they were kind of you know on the cusp of do we be a part of the marked group or not? And of course we stayed, but it was really sad because all of a sudden, and you know, as a young child, I'm not allowed to hang out with my cousins anymore. And I was really good friends with the one that was really close to my age. And it was just really confusing. And I remember like, even as a child, like, Oh, it was awful. And you, and like life wasn't confusing enough how we lived, but I just remember like praying, like, please help them get right with the Lord because obviously they've left the will of the Lord. And, you know, because that's what we are taught is they're wrong and they're sinning and they're a part of the world now. So they're no longer a part of us. Did you ever find out what they got marked for? You know, I don't know. It was really about like, it was like legalistic stuff. Like even like, so we had to wear like skirts Mm -hmm. and uh, the women and the men had to wear pants. So we had just like kind of rules like that. And I know some of it was around that kind of stuff. Just why do we do this? Like, let's dig yes. in. Why, yes. why are we doing this? So if it wasn't. If you can justify it and give me a logical reason, sure. But if you don't have one. 
right. Go ahead and mark us, I guess, yes. because that's what we're going to do because we obviously don't, they didn't have a reason, you know, it, yeah. it, but that was the thing you don't question. You just don't, you just follow along like we did for so many years, but yeah, so it was just about, it was not about anything crazy, nothing like nothing serious and like nothing even biblical. I don't think, you know, it was yeah. more like the rule side of things. So, but that was really hard on my family. I know. And yeah, it was really sad, but that's, but kind of growing up, that's kind of like a little bit of the background of how this group started, but growing up in it, it was, like I said, it was just a lot of rules, very fear-based where like, I never went to, we, and we weren't, so we had no name. Our church group cult had no name. And that was because you wouldn't, if you fought fo a follower of God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need a church name. The church is the, the body of people, right? It's not mm. a building. Mm. So we would meet in Grange halls or people's houses and we would never take a name, which was really fun explaining to people at school as a kid when they're like, what church do you go to? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we literally like a very had a concerted <laughs> effort to be different. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then oh. also that's super confusing because you don't have an identifier. No. Wow. It was, it was very interesting. So we did grow up. So we would go to meetings at Grange Halls in our assembly here. There was, I'm guessing about like 100, 150 of us maybe in this area in our assembly. Most people were homeschooled. We did go to public school, me and my sisters. And there was a really tiny little public school right by a Grange Hall where we met. And so a couple of the other families went there as well. And it was awful going to school with cult people because they would call you out. Like my parents, we were always in trouble because my parents were a little bit more on the like rebellious side, I would say. Okay. Like my dad would wear shorts at home. They would let us wear pants at home. And yeah. we were like constantly in trouble, it seems like. But we did go to school with a couple of other families that went to our meetings as well. Were they reporting you? Yes. Oh. They would not only would they report us, but like when we were younger in like grammar school, they one of them was in my grade. So it was a little school. So we all were together. And he would like we would be doing like a craft project, like making Santa magnets because it's Christmas. We didn't celebrate any holidays. I probably should point that out. No holidays. Oh so wow. yes. He would like raise his hand. And be like, teacher, 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 Shannon and me cannot make the magnets. And I'm just oh, like, no. oh, here we go again. Uh -huh. So pretty we much. We don't celebrate Christmas. No. So we oh. cannot make felt Santa magnets. Oh. Uh, yeah. So that was fun. And then <laughs> like everything else in grammar school, I, and I was such an uncomfortable child. I was so confused. Looking back, I know now that I was very anxious and depressed my whole entire years growing up. And at the time, I just, you know, oh, I'm shy or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but we, so another thing in school, though, that's really fun is because we didn't celebrate holidays whenever they were like singing songs or because you know how it is, like, and maybe it was more that way back when we were in school too, but like, you would, the school would sing Christmas carols and put on a little thing for the parents and all that. So whenever they were practicing Christmas carols or any holiday, anything, we, all of the cult people, kids would go to the library and hang out and literally just sit there being bored, yeah. just hanging out in the library while everyone else was having fun. And, uh, and we had to do that during sex education as well, because okay. we, of course. right, yes. right, right. Yes. Because because we don't need to learn about our bodies like we are different <laughs> yes exactly oh my goodness and that it's was awful so, just like it's so isolating oh so much so and very much. like contributing to this like set apartness nature that is characteristic of so many cults of like we are better yeah oh yeah we're gonna do this like separatist thing to like show that we are better yep and it's not life-giving it is not making your life better. Mm -hmm. It is simply for the sake of being separate and yeah. and 
Yeah. And, and separating yourselves from the world, the world. everyone. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the people who are not enlightened. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it was, it was so separate. And like I was saying earlier too, there's no, we didn't have a name. And for us, even all churches were bad. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, oh, cool. Every, you know, these people are believers, but they just don't meet with us. No, no, no. Like if they don't meet with us, they're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. and they're not the right kind of believers. Mm -hmm. So that was hard too, just because again, at separation, like I remember one time some of the guys like my age when we were, I don't even know. Yeah. I guess we were teens because they would have had to be driving. They went to this teeny tiny church that was like on the way to the meeting hall. They just wanted to like see what the church was like, a real church. And they like went in, sat on the back row and well, someone found out. And so they all got rebuked and they had to like, they have to stand up. Like anytime you'd get in trouble, you'd have to stand up front. Yeah. For going to a church. Just to visit. Just to be like, I wonder what a church is like. Oh, so yeah. So you can imagine all of the things that got rebuked from up front Mm -hmm. if that got rebuked. So it's always, we would call it like rebukal. We would laugh and be like, oh, you got rebukal today. Uh, (laughs) Oh my goodness. And, and that's just, I mean, I can imagine you were probably just so terrified, like of like getting in trouble. What's it going to be today? And yep. And it sounds like your family wasn't quite like that, but the community itself was just right. surveillance and watching everything you did. And very much, very much. And that's where, and you know, we had, uh, I'm very thankful for our family. Like now we're like, good job, dad, way to be rebellious because mm-hmm. we were raised, you know, people say like, how did you turn out normal? And I'm like, thank you for calling me normal. And also our family, I feel like how we were raised in our home did allow us to be somewhat normal. And that's why maybe we're normal today. But we, like I said, we would, could wear what we wanted at home. We would sneak movies. Like we, I remember watching Anna Green Gables because no one, we weren't allowed to watch any TV movies, nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we would do things like that, that a majority of the people would never ever have done. We went to Disneyland. We'd get in trouble for it, but we would go. So there was some wow. things. Yeah. There were some things that we did that I think made us, uh, allowed us to be a little bit more normal, but you still have that influence of, and then even when we were doing these normal things, you still have that fear of, well, we're having fun at Disneyland, but if they find out what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So there's always that, like, even though and you could fully little- enjoy yeah. because mm-hmm. you're, you're having to hide, hide yeah. things. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm really, really curious how, well, first of all, I like relate a lot with the story. There are different flavors of it in my upbringing. Mm. We, home church most of the time and there wasn't like a you can't go to church but there was definitely this belief that those people were not as solid of christians as we were and they weren't as on fire for god as we were and Mm -hmm. we would go visit churches and no church was ever good enough and on the way home we would have roast pastor and my father would just like shred the sermon apart. Oh my gosh. Um, like make sure we knew that what was taught there was not accurate and not biblical and watered down and whitewashed. And that just like very like, and we watched films, but there were like so many films that were like off limits. Mm, Um, And so I remember doing the sneaking thing, like Mm -hmm. when I got out of town, I would go to the library and I would like check out all the movies. Yes. The more nudity, the better. And I was just like, get all, just like get it all in. And also just living with terror that they were going to find out. Oh, yeah. Um, Having books that I like hid under my mattress and read (laughs) after I knew my parents were already in bed. So they weren't going to be like making the rounds to check in. Um, And not just that fear of like, like, what if? And about stupid, stupid stuff. Right. 
Oh yeah. And like, it was so dumb that that was like a sign of character or your devotion to God. Like it Mm -hmm. just, it was so dumb. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. And so I'm curious, you said that it was like the son of like a leader that eventually like mm. came mm-hmm. to power and started implementing these rules. Do you remember like how he got people? Cause it wasn't quite so stringent, like how he got people to do that. Was it like a slow accommodation? Do you remember? I, I don't remember because I was very young at the time. I was like born during that time. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember exactly. I'm sure it was a very slow progression for as many people as they did keep. But like I said, in the eighties, there was that split of where, you know, people were questioning and that was when he had taken over. And so obviously there were enough people that wanted to stand up to him. And then it took, gosh, 30 20 more years before another group finally decided this is BS and we're done. So, so it was, I'm sure again, I don't really know, but it sounds like it was a slow progression where, (laughs) and I think when it very first started, it was so long ago that society was different. You know, it was normal for women to wear the dresses. It was normal. You know, that was a normal thing. And then as time moves on and society is changing, we had to stay basically. So it's like you're frozen. And, and then I think that's kind of, I mean, I'm imagining that's what happened is it kind of, oh, well it's a rule now. So, and so much of around it. And especially when I think about the men that led overall and still are, I think it's a power trip, you know, and they want that control. They want that power. And they're so prideful that they cannot say, let's let it let's take a look at that I don't know yeah you're right let's question that they're so prideful and and it's so sad because you think well gosh that was 50 years ago can we not take a look at that and and maybe (laughs) dissect it a little and decide should we still (laughs) believe that but they're so afraid to be wrong I think (laughs) and I know that that's been a big learning thing for me since being out is realizing how ingrained that is in me (laughs) like so embarrassed mortified of being wrong. And, and again, I look back to my childhood, I would never speak up in class or, and it was because I was so embarrassed to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a huge, is a huge thing that I still deal with. And then also it taught the opposite, I think of what they wanted us to learn, but it taught us to be super good at hiding things. Mm -hmm. We were like, like you were saying, hiding stuff under your mattress, like you knew how to hide things. And it was like, they forced you to be really good at it. Mm-hmm. And, and then not only were you hiding things physically, maybe, but emotionally mm-hmm. you, all you did was stuff your feelings, stuff, 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 never revealing the true you. Mm-hmm. And so as an adult, you know, now you're trying to figure out like, who am I? And, you know, yeah. raise, raising my kids different and, it's, but it's been hard. It's crazy how Absolutely. ingrained that is. Like it is just, you know, you sit under that. I was 31 when we got out. So 31 years of sitting in those metal yeah. chairs. Yeah. And the difference for you, as opposed to folks who join cults later in life. Mm-hmm. And, and this is my experience as well, is you're trying to rebuild a self when you never had a self to begin with. And right. so you don't have this memory of baseline Mm -mm. of like this thing that I can return to, even though if you experience the trauma of being in that high control group, you're inevitably altered possibly forever. Mm. You, you still have that thing to like, remember, like I remember what it felt like to have desires and pursue them and to think well of myself and not Mm -hmm. think, you know, horrible thoughts about myself. But if you never knew that, 
it's hard. It's really hard to like recreate a sense of self if you just. Yeah, right. Well, and, and even if you did have desires or things you wanted to pursue, it was wrong. So Mm -hmm. you would feel guilty about having that idea. Like I, women weren't allowed to go to college and I wanted to be a nurse so bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's something I've, I never did. I never followed through with because, you know, by the time I got out, I had kids and, you know, life moves on. But I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, I felt guilty for wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. And I knew it when it happened, like, but Mm -hmm. so sad. Yeah. And and then, and you feel like things were stolen from you and yeah, just, yeah. yeah, And I just, I also just like, kind of want to go back to you and mention like these men who like can't be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a difference between like those men who can't be wrong and, and fear of being wrong. And like that, Yes, you know, that I experienced that too. This happened like a few months ago. I'm on an improv team and Mm -hmm. we had a show and I had a bad show. Like I was really tired. I had something really stressful in work happen like right before the show. Mm. It just wasn't a great show. And it just happened to be a show where some of my friends came to watch. And it was the first time I had friends watching Mm. and it wasn't my best show. So it was like this experience of like, wasn't my best show. This is the first time they're seeing it. They don't know that that wasn't the best thing that I right. that I could do. <laughs> I went on this massive shame spiral for uh. probably 48 hours and it was mm-hmm. really intense. And I knew in my head, this isn't that big of a deal. Who mm-hmm. cares? Have a bad show, whatever. Right. And it took me a while to unpack just kind of the threads of like, I just grew up in an environment where it was not safe to fail Mm, and like being wrong was dangerous. And I always felt that way. Like when I was in like church situations and I would get in trouble for something or get Mm. called out for something and I would get super defensive. And of course it's as arrogance that I got defensive Mm -hmm. when in reality it was a trauma response and I was fighting or or flighting because I felt unsafe and I felt it couldn't, it couldn't, it wasn't just, Oh, a mistake. Mistakes mm. were dangerous in right. that I grew up in, and and then there's the the very arrogant people who actually can't be wrong and <laughs> right, they're actually and they're just they're yeah. human beings, right? <laughs> right? They just think that they're above human beings and are better than everyone. It, yeah. yeah, no, I I like that you pointed out that difference because it's very true, and I think you know thinking of like our group and my family in it, there it's you were, you were afraid to be wrong. And someone was asked, I forget who it was, was asking something about like the family dynamic and, and the, and the group dynamic. And it's almost like it didn't even matter what your home life was like with what the group was pushing on you, because it was such a strong, powerful, fear-based thing that, because we had, I had a friend from high school that actually ended up joining our group. And, and while she was in high school, so this poor girl by herself or with her family by herself. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was having like some, some stuff going on at home and found the group and poor thing. What a disaster. And, and, you know, I know you probably talk about this all the time too, but there always is something or can be something that draws someone in. Mm -hmm. And like for her, it was that sense of community and the -hmm. the family and the love and da 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 everything you see from the outside that besides how we dressed, that might be appealing. And, and so she started coming and then within, I mean, honestly, a couple of visits, it was, well, you need to start wearing skirts now and like almost immediately. But I just get so sad for people like that because it's like, you know, maybe home wasn't exactly great, but then you come to this other environment that you think is what you need and then you're just destroyed. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, so, so sad how many lives. And I mean, what they put the we called ourselves young people, like when we were young teens, but what they put the young people through is awful. Like mm-hmm. the amount of, sh- oh, they just so fear and shame based, like, oh, mm-hmm. but they bring you up front. Like if you were caught for anything, basically bring you up front, rebuke you and you'd have to confess, which never were real, of course, yeah. because none of us really we're sorry mm-hmm. and just but yet also 
if you had the right last name and you were in the right position, you would be spared from that. So mm-hmm. like someone in one of a girl I grew up with, her dad was, you know, on the list of good people or whatever. And she had an affair with a married man outside of our group and it was pushed under the rug. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, like, and, and and there was enough of us that knew about it, that it was so damaging. Like that whole yeah. concept of like, oh, she gets away with it. And yet you're dragging everyone else up front and making them confess that they made a mistake. Like, oh my gosh. So it was they, very they both hands at home and <laughs> she, yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah because the rules yeah. weren't about like they they'll say this is about like character and you know being a godly person but really it was about elitism and yeah. controlling people yeah. which is i mean that is what those rules are for they sell it to you right. as if it's for your good yep. but it's not it's really just to keep you in line and to keep you subservient mm-hmm. Woof. goodness yeah, goodness. yeah they did they did they did real good at that Real good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like that happens with a lot of folks who have families of origin that just aren't safe and they go to the church. They migrate to the church as like that surrogate family. And, and then if they experience that abuse and that control within that second family, it causes so much damage because Mm -hmm most of the time you're internalizing that and thinking it's your fault. Like this didn't work out because of something wrong with me. It didn't work in my family and it didn't work in the second family. And and it's just very, um, very shame-based and, and just, and can cause so much damage. And I'm actually kind of sort of researching that a little bit of Mm -hmm. the difference between like someone who experiences abuse when they're an adult in a religious context versus someone who experiences it in a religious context when they came from a family that wasn't stable and wasn't safe mm, and like yeah. the impact that that has on their faith experience yeah when they didn't have any foundation versus having a foundation and and what are the what are the chances? Mm. Like, what, yeah. like what, and, it, and it's kind of just like abuse in general. If you, right. Except like, if you experience abuse as a child, you're more, li- more likely to experience it statistically as you get older. And like, what foundation does a family play in, mm. in creating someone who retains their faith after abuse versus not anyway. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And I think I just did an interview actually the other day with someone who's probably about 10 years older than me from, from my cult and he joined. And so he just recently had written a book. And so I'm like, I want to have you on the podcast, but I never really knew his story. You know, he was older than me that I'd never, you know, I was a kid or whatever. So it was really interesting, but that's how it was for him. You know, he was, incarcerated at 17, had a really rough, you know, life, met someone from this group. And then what happened is he met a girl who, mm-hmm. you know, he falls in love with or whatever, and that's what made him stay. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, 30 years later, three kids, adult kids later, he's getting his family out of the cult, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and Ooh. I think so many like that is one of the reasons. And for us, you, you married within your group. It wasn't mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. went outside of it to get married. And there were a few that came in and it was, I feel so bad for them. And it was so hard. Was on it me. the same for the men too? Like they were not allowed to marry outside either. Yeah. They would okay. marry within. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, but like, so I was mentioning earlier, we would have these like big camps. And mm-hmm. so we didn't celebrate holidays. So anytime there was a holiday, we had to be together as a group. So, you know, they didn't want you to be Mm -hmm. tempted to like, (laughs) go look at Christmas lights or anything. (laughs) So we would have these big camps. And the one of the biggest ones was here in California, Central California. So we would all drive down there, or fly or whatever, get there. And there'd be like, you know, over a 1000 people just having meetings all day, basically. It was awful, awful. I hated it. And, but that's where you would kind of 
look for your mate, you know, because oh, it was oh, like, oh. And, and you, and you would only see these people maybe a couple times a year. So, so you gotta lock it down huh, huh? Like this before yeah. someone else does. Exactly. So <laughs> it was always like a competition, like, you know, you're out there on your roller skate, skating around and you're like, ah, he's mine. Um, <laughs> but, but that's where at 12 years old, I knew who I was going to marry. And okay. you, and you did just because it was like, oh, I like him. He likes me. We connect. And we didn't this date. You, you didn't do. court. You just yeah. liked them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so I got married at 19. I really wanted to be out of high school before I got married. So I was kind of old at 19, but yeah, but so I really wanted to were getting to be married before they graduated high school. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like I was engaged. Finishing high school or were they told um, it's not important, you don't need to finish? Well, a lot were homeschooled. So I don't, they probably just finished early would be uh -huh. my guess probably, but I feel like, yeah, I don't really know. I know all the, yeah. The ones that went to public, I think all finished, but, but yeah, so that was fun. So then, yeah, I married young and it was, it was real interesting, real interesting. Interested in listening to more than 40 archived uncertain podcast episodes? All you have to do is sign up to become a monthly supporter of $5 or more. Becoming a monthly supporter will give you access to popular episodes such as Confessions of a Christian Parent and When Bad People Do Good Things. You'll also get access to this episode without any interruptions from yours truly. Become a monthly supporter today by going to tearsofedian.org slash support. Was there a, like some kind of camaraderie simply because you both believe the same things when you got married? Or was it like way more complex than they ever gave you credit for? Like wh why we got married? Well, I was just kind of thinking about the dynamics after you got married. Like, oh, easy, oh, it was, or was it just, oh, no, it was awful. Total disaster. It, total disaster. Yeah. You know, because you, you live with your parents until the night you're married. It's mm -hmm. the first night you ever are away from home. So in the preparation, like even, you know, like churches will do like premarital counseling or, you know, something to kind of prepare you if it's like, you know, like the purity culture and all that. Like, I feel yeah. like they still try to prepare you for marriage. We had nothing, nothing. Uh, we would meet with the leader a couple weeks before you got married. They take you to dinner, him and his wife, and give you this little pamphlet that basically, you know, is like, well, as long as the wife submits to the husband, everything goes great. And so like, that's your... That's, that's your sex education mm. right there. Mm. Luckily, my parents were way better and did like talk to us, but not a ton. And it was always super awkward. So like me with my kids, I'm like, we talk about everything. Yeah. But, and then they, he would recommend, and this is no joke that to get a thing of a uh, Vaseline, mm -hmm. Which is not creepy at all coming from this old crusty. And, nasty and did person. you know why? Were you like, why? why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I did, yes. Okay. But but it's like that's it. Like in for I guarantee you, a majority of people that got this talk did not know why. I Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just right. Like, oh, that seems weird. For my I know feet. I know a lot of people from the community that I grew up in knew nothing about anything like that and had dry sex, dry, dry intercourse. Yeah. Didn't know you're supposed to have lube. I'm like so sad. Like I'm mm -hmm. I'm like so 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 sad that that was their first experience. Yeah. You know, just like oh yeah. Ugh. Yes, but that is really creepy too. Oh, so <laughs> creepy, so creepy. But yeah, and even as, uh, you know, aside from the sex part of it, no, no knowledge of living with another person, even, mm -hmm. you know, like you've never lived with a roommate and learned how to share, or you know, nothing, all the That'd little things so that you wouldn't think of. Yes. So it was hell. It was honestly like, and, and I, we're still married, which is amazing, but it has not been easy. Yeah. And it has been like, we've had to work really hard to stay married. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so many have been divorced that have gotten out, you know, that I grew yeah. up with and yeah. I don't yeah. blame them. Like I'm like, Absolutely. you shouldn't have ever been married. Yeah. So, I mean, none of us should have. So, yeah. So it's been extremely hard. So no, because we grew up the same way, grew, grew did up, not, did not, we did not. Yeah. It did not help here. 
It yeah. was awful. No community. Like we did not know how to communicate. And again, you know, when you're an individual person and we're talking kids, we were married as kids, you're, you're already internalizing everything. Mm-hmm. And so to all of a sudden start sharing things with someone you right. didn't, that's not a natural thing to so do. So they wanted you to have like an intimate relationship with your partner or they did. Well, care. I mean, I don't think they cared. They didn't okay. really care. I don't think, okay. but like, I think as a human, you want, you want to, I yeah. mean, I definitely knew like, this isn't right. Like I want more. I thought, well, and you just don't even know. You don't know mm-hmm. what marriage is going to be like. I had no expectations really, because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it was rough and it's been uh-huh. 23 years now, but we made it this far. Okay. So. okay. What do I you know. think, <laughs> what do you think kept, kept you like preserved things? Well, for God, I, I don't know. Because... Were you attracted to your spouse? Yes. Oh okay. yeah. Oh, and he is adorable. When we were young, he was so cute. And I mean, he's yeah. very handsome. He's mm-hmm. yeah. And you it know, wasn't honestly, like, oh, he's the best one. Like you actually, no, him. we really liked each other. And he, we've always, and this is, I think, honestly, what has kept us together is we've always been really good friends. Mm-hmm. And so like, there was a time in our marriage where it was just like, okay, maybe, maybe friends is what we're meant to be. Maybe that's it. But we've always been such good friends. And then we went through so many other things after we were married. Like we did like, th- went through like three years of infertility treatments. Mm. And then we ended up adopting our kids. And those were very traumatic experiences, both of them. And so I think because we had so much other trauma happening, we kind of clung to each other because of that. Mm-hmm. But I would say it never was like our marriage was awesome during that. It wasn't yeah. like, Oh, I feel so supported. It was like, when I look back, like on the years of infertility, I felt very alone, very alone, even from him, because we didn't know, like that was years into being married. We still did not know how to really love each other, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's only been probably the last four or five years that we really finally put in the work and made some new commitments to each other. And decided, okay, it's either we're done or we need to make some changes. So, and we have, and we, we're happier now than we've ever, ever been. So that's great. And I'm so thankful for it. And he's such a good dad. And so, yeah, now, now everything's great, but it took us, you know, almost yeah. 20 years to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know mm. that's, a, that's a vulnerable thing to talk about. Yeah. I I feel like I'm encountering more and more stories like that where Mm. it ends or there's this really difficult period where they're like assessing like, yeah, yeah, going to work right in your conditioned marriage is what you're going to do. And then you do really young and you have kids really young. So then you're like really locked in and, and a lot of your choices get taken away. And so having to like make those choices once you're already in it. It's really excruciating. So thank you very much for, for yeah. sharing. And then as we have a little bit of time left, I know I, I went really so wanted to talk about humor. <laughs> like went by so fast and I was <laughs> so enthralled and kept asking your questions. Uh, yeah, I want to know the role that humor played in your yes. journey and continues to play in your healing journey, recovery sure journey. Your does. escape journey. Did it play a role in your escape journey? So not so much, but I've always been like, my mom's a real funny person. So like when we would do, I'm going to try to keep this fast, but when we would do like camps and stuff, we would put on skits. We always got in trouble because we pushed the the envelope, you know, (laughs) like we always did, but we were, we were like kind of the funny ones, but it was always still so fear-based because I remember you'd be so nervous up there knowing what you're going to do is hilarious and then know you're going to get talked to afterwards because you went too far. But so we were always kind of the funny ones and like me and my mom and there was a little group of us. But then when when it was time to get out, basically what happened then, it was not humor. It was a group of like pretty much our aged people. And then a lot of our parents started questioning things like back in the 80s and we pushed harder. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. basically the cult broke apart. A majority left. They're still they're still continuing on a little bit everywhere. But a majority of the cult broke apart and we slowly just kind of 
everyone went their own ways kind of. Yeah. So it was more of a just disintegration of it than anything else. Luckily, okay. my whole family is out. My husband's parents are still in. So that's a little weird, but, yeah. but yeah, it, it, and it's still causing so much damage. Like it's absolutely disgusting. That's so hard to doing. watch. Yeah. From a it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Mm -hmm. But after that, after getting out, very confusing, you know, for us, all churches were bad. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't know what to do. You know, you're kind of just out on your own for the first time as an adult, but not really because we were so like stunted socially and emotionally. So it was hard. It was a long journey and it's been 11, 12 years now. And so it's been a long journey. And like I said, we really have just dug in the last like four years as far as yeah. doing some real healing yeah. on ourselves and on our marriage, but humor you know, I've always been kind of this funny-ish person. And I really started, it was during COVID really when I started doing TikTok, Instagram, these like little videos and stuff. And I started feeling a little bit more confident and a little more free with doing it. And I had always felt even a little bit uncomfortable. What's the word? I don't know. Even for my husband to see, because yeah. again, we, you know, we went, but we had just been through this like big, huge, like we're going to make some changes. And so it kind of gave me some confidence, like, mm. oh, well, he doesn't really care. Like, even if he doesn't think it's funny, he doesn't care. So it gave me that boost to start doing that. And as I was doing these videos and connecting with people online, I realized how much, it, how healing it was for me. Mm. And, mm. and it, you know, and I really at first didn't think of it that way. It was just like, Yay, let's do this. It has been the like such a huge part of my healing at this point. Just realizing, like, yeah, we've dealt with a lot of shit over the years, like a lot. But it doesn't mean we have to live the rest of our lives, you know, depressed and sad. And I yeah. deal with a lot of a lot of a depression, a lot. Mm -hmm. So but but I this the humor drags me out of it, you know, and it's like having other people kind of validate like, oh, you're funny. It's not like I in a like, oh, I need to be validated kind of way, but it just, it prompted me to continue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and now I love it. It's what I, and then I just, you know, it brought me to connect with people like you. I mean, I never would have been connected with so many of people I call friends now, mm -hmm. if it weren't for that. And it really connected me to like so many others and cults and from high control groups. And I've created these like amazing relationships and support and people like you that I can listen to and that help with the healing and the growth part of this journey because it sucks. Mm -hmm. But the humor, we, we have to laugh. Yeah. We have to laugh. Yeah. I just can't even imagine not because it would not be good. Yeah. And I love that you highlighted the connection that the mm. humor provides. Cause I think the humor is great no matter what, but right. when you're laughing with someone, right. That like connection and that intimacy that is created when you're laughing together, like that is so special. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know if this was your experience, but I, I just remember times laughing afterwards after like leaving an abusive church now like five years ago I guess and like laughing and having this belly laugh and then just being surprised that I was able to laugh and like mm -hmm. oh I haven't done that in a really 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 long time like yeah. I didn't really remember that I could do oh. that or I could access that and yes. it's so it's so freeing mm -hmm in and of itself and so healing to be able to access that. And, mm. and I, I, I also think like, I don't know if this was your experience growing up, but we, we were so conditioned to be working on ourselves. Was that part of your mm. upbringing? Like be better, be a better person. Like, uh, no, really? I don't, I think it okay. was more just listen, <laughs> just listen to me, please. Just listen and do whatever. I mean, they wanted you to be a good Christian, you know, yeah. like you need to be a good example in the world. You should always be an example for anyone in the world that sees you. So, I mean, I guess a little bit. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that that can like translate to trauma recovery of like, oh, I need to always be healing and I need to always yeah. be doing these things that will help me heal. 
and we need to take a break. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. Working on ourselves. We need yes. to have a good time and play. Yes. And, go yes. and it's so true. And like, even part of that is the whole, like, goes back to the perfectionist part and mm-hmm. being afraid to do anything wrong and, you know, being defensive and all of that. You're right. It's like, sometimes I, I want to be so good at healing, you know, I'll even have <laughs> therapy sessions where I'm just like, Oh no, everything's great. How are you? You know, <laughs> she's like, Nope, this is your turn. And I'm like, great. What is your day? You got nothing today. <laughs> like, cause I just want to be a good therapy goer. You know, yes. I just want to be good at it. I want to be her favorite client. Yes, I do. I want to be teacher's pet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, no, no damage done here at all. Obviously. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm really glad that we got to laugh together too. I know chatting. It has been, it's been really fun. And I'm, I'm really glad that we met and in person. I know we're going to do it again together. So it was real, like it really happened. (laughs) It really did. I'm yeah. That was amazing to meet you and so many others. I like, tre- I just treasure that whole weekend. I was just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it was so good. It was so yes. good. It was such a great weekend. It's like, I still like, even now I've got a little ball of sunshine in my, oh, in my heart oh, at I the moment. It. But, yes. and for folks who don't know what we were talking about, yeah, we sorry. About <laughs> the fact that Tears of Eden had a retreat con, I got out, had a story jam. We kind of meshed them on the same weekend in St. Louis that's where I met Shani in person yes. and we have been the best of friends ever since. And forever more. Yeah. Forever more. As long as I'm the favorite, <laughs> you know, I have to be the best. I have to be the best. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll, we'll sign a contract later. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to end. end the All right. Part. Thank you so much. Uncertain is produced, recorded, edited, and hosted by me, Katherine Spearing. Intro music is from the band Green Ashes. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you have, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.